today I want to just talk to you about making room for his presence. Making room for his presence. You know, we, we get to a place in our life where we want to be in the presence of God. How many can say honestly your desire is just to have more of him? in your life. Lord, fill me. God, flood me. I want more of you in my life. And that's all of our desire. But how do we do that? How do we get to that place? And let me, let me tell you already that you're good enough. Look at your neighbor say, you're good enough. You know, sometimes we think it's a performance thing, that we have to perform a certain way, that we have to do certain things, that we have to measure up. Guess what? You already are good enough. You already measure up. Why? Because Jesus is on the inside of you and God created you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Come on. Look at the other one and say, you look marvelous. (laughs) You look marvelous. You're a masterpiece. God created you for good works, the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, that you were created for good works, which are in Christ Jesus. So that means that you're already good enough. You already measure up. You're already worthy to have God living on the inside of you. Have you ever thought about that before and thought, how in the world does God choose to use me? Because if most people knew who I really was... Come on, somebody. We live in a generation, a day and age where nobody is who they really are. We use filters. Come on, I took a picture the other day, and I was putting all these filters on there. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me, let me change this. Let me use that one. Let me use that one. I'm making us look good. And I, I was putting a picture, and then I, I put a picture for an event we're doing this afternoon. And it was a picture we took about 10 years ago. And uh, probably longer than that, before we had children. And so I thought, oh, it's a fun picture. I use that. I put it up, and people started commenting. They're like, oh, April, you look amazing. (laughs) You look great. She does look great. But they're like, oh, look at you. You guys look good. I'm like, yeah, because that's 10 years old. That's why we look so good. But how many know people do that all the time? They, They Every time you look at something, that's not who they really are. But sometimes you think, if people knew who I really was, they wouldn't even want to be near me. They wouldn't want to talk to me. But God knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows where you're going. And he still desires to live and move on the inside of you. Come on, you're worthy. You're worthy to carry the presence of God. I can remember at times when I've had to, you know, be on the spot where people have come and they say, Pastor, I want you to pray for this person. You're kind of on the spot. You're like, I wasn't ready. Anybody ever been that? Wait, wait, I wasn't ready. Come on. You ever been like that? They just come up at the last minute. Hey, can you pray for me? And you're like, ah, I'm, I'm, yeah, sure, sure. Let me, I remember when I worked in Tulsa at a restaurant. And my pastors would come in to eat. They wanted to come in and see me, so they come in and eat. And Billy Joe and Sharon Darty, they pastored one of the largest churches in the town at the time. There's about 18,000 people there. And so they would come in. To, I worked at Ryan's Steakhouse at the time. How many remember Ryan's? Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. I would buffet my body daily. Come on. And uh, like the Apostle Paul. And uh, so they would come in to the buffet, and they would sit down and try to eat, and they couldn't eat. 
Because every time Pastor would sit down and cut his meat and get ready to eat something, somebody would come up, hi, Pastor Darty, God bless you. I was wondering if you could pray for me, and I'd watch him, and he'd put his fork down, and he'd say, he was so gracious, he'd say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless them in Jesus' name, amen. And he'd go down, and he'd sit there, and he'd scoop up some mashed potatoes, and somebody would be on the other side. Oh, Pastor Billy Joe and Sharon, how are you guys? And so, oh, he put his spoon down. God bless you, God bless you. And this went on, I mean, they were causing a healing line at the salad bar. Come on. I was joking around saying he was up there dedicating babies over at the bakery right there with a little gravy. Come on, in Jesus' name. But it was so bad. Everybody was just coming up to them all the time, and they didn't even eat anything because they were so gracious. But how many of you say, well, I wasn't ready? I wasn't ready. Anybody ever felt that way before? And it seems like we get in this place of, you know, okay, God, i got to get in the right mode. I've got to be ready for this. I've got to come up with a word from God. I've got to have this. I've got to be ready for this. But you know what? There is a place in God. You can get to the point where you are so ready. You're instant in season and out of season. You're already ready to give a word of the Lord, to pray for somebody. To the point now, you know what it is now? I walk around and I'm almost at the point where God's always speaking to me. And I'm like, Lord, stop for a minute. Come on, we're in Kroger's right now. I don't want to prophesy over this person right now. Come on, you know what happened? I made a place for God. And this has just been going in my spirit today. And I want to read, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 8. I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. Praise God. I believe that somebody is going to leave here today having made room for him. I posted last night on Facebook, and I mean it. I, I don't want a visitation, just a visitation. I had to change it. At first I said, I don't want a visitation. I just want a habitation. And I sounded real spiritual. But then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, Lord. I'll settle for a visitation until we're ready for a habitation. Come on, somebody. I don't want just a visitation. I want a habitation. Praise God. Second Kings chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 8. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. I wonder if her food wasn't that good. I wonder if her cooking wasn't that good. And she knew he was holy because he kept coming back to eat. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Reminds me of a story. Is, is, it, is it sacrilegious to tell a, a story right in the middle of the Word of God? I don't know. But anyway, it reminds me of a story. There's a, a preacher said that his wife was the worst cook, and she would make gumbo all the time, and it wasn't good. I mean, he, lived, he was from Narlands. Come on, somebody. And, he, and she would try to make gumbo for him, and it just wasn't good. It tastes like she had drug a piece of chicken through some water and called it gumbo. And so all of a sudden said that he was asking preachers, 
preachers would come over, and she had a lot of money, kind of like this, and preachers would come over one after one, and they would eat that nasty gumbo, and they would sit there and say, oh, sister, this is so good. Man, you are such a good cook. And no, they were lying, and the husband would not serve the Lord. He was not a Christian, and he would sit there. And then one time, Jesse Duplantis came over to this woman's house, and uh, you know Brother Jesse, and here he was, and she fed him the gumbo. And all of a sudden, Brother Jesse, being a good Cajun, he was eating that gumbo and just sitting there and sitting there and trying his best. And finally, uh, the husband says, well, Reverend, how's the gumbo? He said he sat there for a minute, and he thought about it. And he knew why he was there. He knew the lady wanted to give a, a large donation. He thought about it for a minute. And then he said, finally, he said, I can't tell a lie. He said, this is the worst mess I've ever tasted before. <laughs> he said, this don't even taste like gumbo. This tastes like dirty dishwater. And then the woman started crying and got all upset. And the man, the husband said, that is a true man of God right there. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm ready to go to his meeting and give my heart to the Lord. That's the first preacher that's come over here and told the truth. The others just sat in that chair and lied. So I know he's a man of God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Sometimes you got to tell the truth. There's another preacher. I, I'm on a roll here. Another preacher that we get food from the church all the time, and he didn't like it, and so he spray-painted the bottom of his trash can, and whenever somebody would give him something, he didn't like it, he'd throw it in there, and then at church, they'd say, well, pastor, how was that pie I gave you? He said, it sure did hit the spot. <laughs> Some of you will get that tomorrow. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who continually passes our way. Verse 10 is where I want to clue in on. It says, let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed. Come on, if you write in your Bible, underline a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said, now say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm about to run all over this room. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. God, we thank you that it brings light. God, we thank you that it causes us to enlarge our thought. And God, I pray that you would help us over the next few minutes to get to the place where we can make room for you. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Hear this 
woman wanted to have a place for the prophet. She wanted to provide for him. She wanted him to keep coming there. She wanted to make him comfortable. And she said, let us make a room on the house and let us make this room for him on the roof and put in there a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp. How many know that she understood having the man of God in her house brought her good things? Can you say amen? brought her blessing, brought her comfort, and she knew that she needed to make a place for him. And as I've been studying this week and everything I've been doing and in my prayer time, God's been saying, I want my people to make a place for me. Not just in the church. At first I thought, oh, this is, this is for the church. We need to give more time to worship and allow the Spirit of God to move. How many know we need to do that? Amen? I will always do that. I will never be married to a script and follow a script and say we can't allow the Spirit of God to move. I'm thankful for the church where we can be free and let God do what he wants to do. Can you say amen to that? But then God says, no, it's not just for the church. I want you to make a room for me. I want everyone to make a room for me. Now, I'm not saying you need to get into interior design and and change your house, but I'm saying you need to make room. You need to make him feel welcome and say, God, have a place. I have a place for you, and I want you to live inside of me. I'm tired of just people going to church and making room for God on Sunday for a couple hours. And by God, don't go past 1230. I tell you what, because the anointing will lift at a quarter to one. How many know what I'm talking about? And don't call me to come in here on another day because it just ain't happening. I've made room for God and that room is from 11 to 1230 on Sunday and that's it. But I'm telling you, God wants to invade every part of our life. As I was out there in, in, uh, in California, we decided to go. We had a meeting come up at the last minute, and I jumped on a plane and went to L.A. for this meeting. And while we're there, I said, you know what? Let's stop at the Bonnie Bray House, where it all began. How many are familiar with the Azusa Street Revival? Uh, William Seymour, a black man from Texas, came and, and began seeking the power of the Holy Spirit and knew there was more and began seeking what God would do. And he went to a, a Bible school and he wanted to learn. And it was a, a white man that started the Bible college and he couldn't get in. He had to sit out in the hallway and listen. How many know that's dedication right there? He could have got offended. Now today, we would have got offended. We would have had signs up. We would have been marching and telling everybody, oh, they don't want us in there, so they're too bad. But he didn't do none of that. He just sat out there and said, I don't care about anybody. I just want to hear the word of God. I wish we could get to that place where we say, I don't care about anything else. I need a word from the Lord. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care who's not preaching. It's amazing how churches won't come to church if the pastor's not going to be there. You know, sometimes I get called away to go at the last minute, and I go, and sometimes I can remember being in Denver, you know, and our pastor couldn't tell anybody that he wasn't going to be there because people would not come to church. I remember being in service one time, and pastor would always come out a side door during worship, and I can remember the place was packed, and it was buzzing, and, you know, worship was high, and the door opened up, and another preacher came out, and Dr. Bagel wasn't there, and you could hear the crowd. It was like, a, uh, I was like, oh, my goodness, and people, some people got up and started walking out. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. 
Did you come to church for a man or did you come to church to get a word from the Lord? And I'm telling you, if we would get to that place where we say, I'm so hungry for God that I don't care who's standing up behind the pulpit. I know that if I come hungry, that God is not going to let me down because blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. If we get to that place, we know that we're going to get something from God. We're going to get something. Amen. I tell you what, a donkey spoke in the Bible. God used a donkey. Come on, and he's using donkeys every Sunday from pulpits all over the world. But I'm telling you, you've got to get to the place where we say, I'm ready to receive from God. And William Seymour said, I want a touch from God. And he ended up going and he coming down. They invited him to come down to California to preach. And he went there and he preached. And the first time he preached, he talked about the Holy Spirit. They kicked him out of the church. How many know some people don't want to hear the truth? You start preaching the truth, the next thing you know, they start finding reasons to not be there. It's amazing. I found out over my years of ministry that when you start preaching the truth, that people who are opposed to the truth cannot stay in that presence. Come on, they start coming up with all kind of reasons, all kind of things to not be there because there's something that's going against what's being taught over the pulpit and they got to get out of there. So they wanted to get him out of there. So he went to some little house. Some people said, why don't you come over to our house and why don't you just pray? And this house was on Bonnie Bray Street in in L.A. And he went there and began seeking God, began praying. Next thing you know, the power of the Holy Spirit fell down there and people started getting filled with the Holy Spirit and people started speaking with other tongues and all of a sudden it just started going and going and growing and more people start coming, more people start coming to where there would be hundreds of people in this little house, so many people that the porch collapsed on the front of the house. People all over the neighborhood were standing out watching. They would hear them speaking with other tongues. And all of a sudden, it got so many people that they had to finally move down to another little building on Azusa Street. And that's where the great Azusa Street revival happened. But it all happened because one man decided, I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to make a place for God. And I'm not coming out until I'm filled so full of the presence of God. They say that William Seymour would put a box over his head and say, I'm not going to come out of this box until the presence of God fills me. Because he said, I don't want any distractions. I don't want anything to cloud my judgment. And sometimes when he would preach, he would put his head in the pulpit until the presence of God. Now, how many know it would be a little weird if you came out here and I just hid underneath the pulpit until the power of God came on me? But I tell you what, God began to move and miracles, signs and wonders. They said people would come up to this house on Bonnie Bray and they'd walk up to the present to the house, and as soon as they walk in, people would fall out under the power of God and begin to get healed, and notable miracles took place, and signs and wonders, and arms growing out, and legs growing out, and blind eyes opening right there in that house. Why? Now, is there anything special about the house? No. But you know what's special? Is these people, these, the Asbury's said, we're going to make a place. We're going to let you have our house and do whatever you want to do, God. And I tell you what, I believe that God is bringing us back to a place where we need to make a place for him. Somebody say amen. amen. And the things that they put in there are significant. Said, I want to put a bed in there. A bed is a symbol of a place of rest. 
We want to make God comfortable. We want to make the Holy Spirit want to stay in our life. We want to make a place. We want our life to be a place where the presence of God wants to come and wants to stay. I was preaching in a town in northwestern Ohio. I won't say the name of the town, but I was preaching in a place up there, and I remember they had me in a house. And I used to stay in people's homes when I would travel around and preach. After this uh, uh, experience, I wrote in my ministry um, confirmation, I need a nice hotel room, please. Because I went to this house, and they said, we've got a place for you. And I went there, and it was a nice nice place. A young guy lived there. And I went in. They said, you're going to stay in Mickey's room. Okay. I walked in to this room, and there was Mickey Mouse everywhere. Now, I thought it was a little weird because it was a single guy. He was in his late 30s, and I was, I was a little off that he had a room that had Mickey Mouse bedspread, Mickey Mouse posters, Mickey Mouse pillows all over. I was like, and I asked him, I said, do you have a child? No. This is Mickey's room. Okay. And I was so tired. I had been traveling all day, so I went in there, and I laid down on the bed before service that night, and I took a nap. And I woke up, and I mean, I was dying. I woke up, and I couldn't breathe. My throat was closing off. My eyes were this big. Oh, my God. And I went out, and I was like, I was like oh, my gosh, I don't feel good. I said, I said do, you have a, do you have a cat or something? He said, oh, yeah, Mickey gave up his room for you. The devil is a liar. This room was just for the cat. And the cat lived in there, and he didn't bother to say anything, and I went back in there and looked. There was cat hair all over everything I had, and I'm allergic to cats, and I was dying. I had to get out of there. I, I stayed one night, and then I was like, you know what? I can't. I was supposed to be there for like three nights. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm leaving, and I left and went and got a hotel. How many know it wasn't comfortable there? I didn't want to stay there. I don't want to stay there, but God wants us to make a place that is comfortable for him. Now, when I go to Colorado... I mean, no, I don't get a hotel when I go to Colorado. I stay with my brother, Pastor Chris DeDiego. They have made a place for me, literally. There is a room in their home that is my room. It's, it's, got, it's the love room, and it's got a little thing on there. That's my room. My clothes are hanging up in the closet there. I have my room there. They have a brand new bed that is the most comfortable bed in the world just for me. Come on, somebody. And you know what? I remember in their other house that, that the... Uh, the bathroom was down the hallway. Remember that? And we, the guest room was here and the bathroom was down the hallway. And they keep that house frigid. I mean, it's so ice cold. And we have to get up in the middle of the night and walk out. And, you know, sometimes you just walk into the bathroom, stumbling out in the middle of the night. And there's somebody. His office was right there. And I remember one morning walking out early in the morning in my PJs. And, and there's assistant was sitting there at the desk. Hello, Pastor. I'm like. I mean, no, that wasn't as comfortable right there. Now I have a bathroom inside the love room. And that's what God wants. He wants to be comfortable in your life. Come on, somebody. And the way you make him comfortable is you say, this is a life that you can have your way. You can do what you want to do in my life. I'm giving you free reign in my life to do whatever you want to do. Come on, somebody. We've got to say, Lord, use me. Do whatever you want to do. Be comfortable in my house. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The way that we're going to make God comfortable is living a separated life. People don't want to hear this kind of preaching anymore. Come on, this isn't popular. But I'm going to do it. Because the way that we're going to make God comfortable is saying I'm living a separated life. My life is a place where you can be comfortable. There's not things in my life that make you uncomfortable. And how many know sin touching things that are unclean, living a life that's, that's one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. How many know that ain't right? Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't right. Come on. God is wanting us to live a separated life. He says, I'm going to be in them. I'm going to walk in them. I'm going to live in them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We've got to make sure that we are God's people, that we're a reflection of God's people. I'm telling you that the world is looking today. They're watching you. They're looking at you and I, and they don't want any fakes. Come on, the day of being a fake and bait Christian is over. Well, pastor, this isn't a good, friendly message today. Come on, that's how we're going to invite the presence of God in our life, is being separate. Come out from among them. And I'm telling you, when you live a life of separation, God will dwell in you, he will move in you, he will live in you, and you will see the power of God coming out of you. Somebody say amen. People are looking for something different. This millennial age that's, that's coming up right now, they, they want something that's true. Because like I said, everything they see, everything that we promote today is not what it really looks like. Come on, we were watching a, a tutorial the other day, just happened to be flipping through some videos, and all of a sudden this guy's on there, and he starts putting on makeup. And we're thinking he's like getting ready to put on an animal face. You know, that's popular now, so we thought maybe he's an actor. So he's putting on the, I mean, it was looked kind of crazy, didn't it? We thought, oh, he's putting on a cheetah face or something. Next thing you know, he kept going and kept going and put some eyeliner on, and, and next thing you know, he tied his hair up, put a wig on, and we, we were engrossed at that time. We're like, well, what in the world is getting ready to happen? And the guy pulls his jacket off, and he's a full woman. I said, the devil is a liar. I mean, big old burly dude, start putting on makeup. Next thing you know, he was a full on woman. The devil is a liar. I mean, you can't believe nothing you see today. Come on. I mean, if I thank God that I'm not dating these days, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I need to see a birth certificate. I need a blood test. <laughs> you can go through a metal detector. Come on. Everything. Credit score. We need to see everything. Health card. I want it all. Before we even say yes to dinner. Come on, somebody. Good God Almighty. I mean, everything. I thought, you got to be kidding me. And April's like, that's a lot of makeup. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, it's amazing what you can do with, with makeup and hair. I tell you what. <laughs> so, <laughs> I ain't going to say it. <laughs> Some ladies you wouldn't even recognize. <laughs> I saw a lady come to church one time early before church started, and I walked by, and I was like, <laughs> I just looked at her like I didn't have a clue who she was. <laughs> and she was a very prominent woman in the church. That's all I'm going to say. And then I saw her later, and I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> 
I don't know what kind of parlor tricks you did. <laughs> she did not look like that a couple hours ago. But I tell you what, it's amazing. What they're wanting is they're wanting something real. And you know what? They're looking at Christians. They're looking at preachers. And they're like, you guys are just the same. If you're living like the world on Friday and Saturday... And then on Sunday, you dress up and put on some nice clothes and come in here and start doing the huckabuck and the herkajerk. People are going to be like, no, you ain't nothing. I know who you were. Now, I'm telling you, it's time for us. God is requiring us to live separated lives. Can I get an amen? And when we will do that, we will say, God, I am making you welcome here. I'm making you comfortable here. I'm putting a bed in my life for you to live here. I don't want you just to visit. I want you to stay. Come on, somebody. I'm tired of God just visiting my life and coming on me and getting a feeling. And then when I need him out in the world, I don't have him. People wonder why is it that things don't work for me? Why is it that the power of God is not there when I need it? Because you haven't made God comfortable. He's uncomfortable in your sin. And so it's time for us to make God comfortable. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting up in here today. Because it's hard. People don't want to hear the truth. But the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. He said he put a bed in there, put a table and a chair. A table and a chair is a picture of us coming together and making a place for communion. Making a place for common union. Here's the table that we can come there and we can eat there. We can fellowship. God wants constant communion. Why did the Azusa Street Revival break out? Why did it happen so much? Because what had happened that didn't happen before was them speaking with other tongues. What is that? That wasn't just babble. That was communication with the Holy God they hadn't had before. And I'm telling you, if you're at a place where you're saying, I just don't know what to do. I just can't figure this out. I've tried everything. I don't know what to say. I don't know what you do. You know what you do? You start praying in that heavenly language. You start speaking mysteries to God, and he'll start speaking back to your spirit, and you'll build yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the spirit. And when you pray in the Holy Ghost, it's more to it than just a ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta should have bought a Honda. I'm telling you, there's power when you tap into the presence of God and say, God, fill me to overflowing, and I'm going to use everything you've given me because God desires to communicate with his people. He wants to have communion. He wants to have that language that is common unity. And it's saying, I'm speaking the mysteries of God. I'm constantly speaking to God. And you know what? Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk and he, he had had a horrible life, but he practiced the presence of God. And that's what we need to do. We need to practice the presence of God. Say, God, I want to stay so close to you. I want to stay close to you. Smith Wigglesworth would say this. He would say, it may not be that I pray an hour every day, but an hour doesn't go by that I'm not praying. And I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to pray all the time. What do I do? I pray in the Spirit constantly. I get in the car. I start praying in the Spirit. I'm walking down the hallway. I'm praying in the Spirit. Anytime I'm, even sometimes when I'm around people and I can't stand them, come on somebody. Just kidding, just kidding. Start praying in the Spirit. What happens is God, you're going to build yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. And when you begin to 
pray and you begin to stir yourselves up, all of a sudden faith comes. When you're walking into a situation and you're unsure about it, begin praying in the Holy Ghost and watch faith come up. On your job, man, I tell you what, if I was working a secular job today, I'd be praying in tongues all the time. Why? Because you're tempted to get up. Come on, Rodney. You're tempted to, to get upset. You're tempted to want to tell somebody. How many know we get tempted to speak in other tongues a lot on our job? Amen. How many, how many want to talk French? Come, excuse my French. But we just need to stir ourselves up. It's a place of communion. It's a place of work and study and teaching. And I love that. So put a table and a chair in there. So that you can sit down. When you're seated, you're in a place of authority. And that's a time to teach. Jesus would teach in a seated position. He would sit down to teach. The rabbis would sit down to teach. And she put that chair there. We need to let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. He's the best teacher we could ever have. When your life is filled, when you've made a place for him, you're going to find that. And a lamp. It's a symbol of illumination. Say, God, I want you to show me how to walk. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. When you have the word of God in your heart and you allow God's word to fill you, then you have light. You're illuminated. It's amazing that when I was at that house, the caretaker was there. She's a little Filipino woman named Saul. She's lived there since... I want to tell you, 1984, she's lived there. She moved in there with her kids, and, and they asked her just to take care of the house. It's the only last living physical relic of that great revival. And it's pretty much just like it was 100 years ago. It's amazing. And she stayed there, and she's taking care of that house. And she says, miracles are still taking place there. A little Filipino woman that loves the Lord. And she just takes care of that house. And then Bishop Blake from the Church of God in Christ, they got the house and they end up building her, buying her a house two doors down. And she lives down there. But she says, I still come and stay here just because the presence of God is here. And it's so powerful. And you're not supposed to be able to do things in there. But we went in there and I went with Pastor Charles Bethany from Daystar. He's the organ player there, and he ministered here a few weeks ago. And I went with Pastor Chris DeDiego, and we walked in there, and we took our shoes off at the door, and we walked in, and she sat down. She says, what do you want to know? I'm like, tell us history. She's like, oh, she says, it's a great place. And she starts telling us all about it. And then all of a sudden, right then, we start talking about miracles, start talking about the presence of God, and Pastor Bethany went over to the, now this, I'll tell you what, I, the, the thing's not working, I'd show you, but there's a hundred-year-old piano there that Jenny Moore played. If you read the story, if you look at any of the history of Azusa Street Revival, you'll see that Jenny Moore was a young lady that was playing the piano and got filled with the Holy Spirit while she was playing the piano. And she, huh? She didn't know how to play the piano. Yes, thank you. She didn't know how to play the piano. Sat down. The power of God came on her. Sat down and began playing the piano. And the power of the Holy Spirit came on her. She was, began speaking with other tongues and played. And ended up marrying William Seymour later. And that piano is right there in the house. The exact piano. And Pastor Bethany went over there and pulled a chair up. And there's signs, do not touch. 
<laughs> but we had special favor. Come on. And he lifted that up and he began to play. It was out of tune, hundred years old, but he began to play and sing and the presence of God flooded that place. I mean, if you go on my Facebook and you can just see it, it's just so powerful. And I mean, it was just like the the acoustics all through that house, wood floors just filled it. Next thing you know, tears began to stream down our face and, and we were on our face before the Lord and walking through the house and the power of God filled that place. And it was just like, God began to speak to me. He said, I walked to the door and I looked out the window and I saw people walking by and driving by. And I thought, God, your presence is in this house so much. And, and I remember what happened. It's all over. There's pictures. But there are people that are walking by there and don't have a clue what this house means. There are people driving by, people living across the street next door, don't even know what this house means. And he said, there are many churches like that all over the world. Pentecostal churches that used to exhibit the power and presence of God. And today people walk by, drive by them, and they're just a museum. They're just a relic of things gone by. Why? Because people stop making a place for him. And we need to let him invade our lives so much that we live and move and have our being in him constantly. And I want to get to that place where everywhere I go, everything that's in me is just leaking of the presence of God, that I'm so full of him that I don't have to work something up. I don't have to be caught off guard. When somebody comes to me, hey, Pastor, I'm ready to go. I'm trying to stop the flow. Come on, somebody. How many want to be at that place where you're, you're just trying to stop the presence of God because it's always flowing out of you? And the way to do it is by making a place. And that was the past, but today, 1 Corinthians says, chapter 3, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are you? Are you the temple of God or are you a defiled temple today? I challenge you to make a place for him. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm giving you a bed. I'm giving you a table and chair. I'm giving you a lamp. And I'm saying, come and dwell. I don't want just a visitation anymore. I want a habitation. 